My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. How's it going? This is Steve from the Lost in Translation podcast. Um, I'm here, well, here with Travis and Sean Kincaid. How you doing, guys? Good, good. How are you? Good. We're uh, in the middle of uh, what we've coined as Irish Whiskey Month. And uh, it's uh, it's been fun. It's funny. We didn't even really, like, come together and plan that we were going to post, our, like, Irish whiskeys every day. Um, but it's been cool to see the... Uh, just the interaction, conversation, discussions, um, kind of just everything, the excitement that you can generate by just throwing out some really exciting Irish whiskey. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, totally. I mean, you still get in the comments like we saw today, people saying, oh, I can't get into Irish whiskey. It's always 40% so light. And it's like, well, you're not drinking the right Irish whiskey. You're obviously. not looking hard enough, right? Like, yeah. What? look past yeah. jameson just for a second <laughs> exactly yeah so i mean for me personally obviously as being a huge irish whiskey fan uh i could do two or three months straight and not post the same bottle twice but trying to fit them all in in a month is interesting but it's also you know just doing my part and kind of showcasing irish whiskey and the differences that you can find i mean yeah. today's post that i'm going to be posting later is peated irish and i have eight bottles and a can to put in the post. So, yeah, you know, everybody thinks of peated Irish as one brand and one brand only. And, you know, it's just, I mean, they're not all peated malts, but peated you know, you, yeah, using peated casks and whatever. And yeah. So it's just, you know, it goes to show there's still a lot of that bias against Irish whiskey out there and, you know, attitudes are changing and, Obviously, with the Renaissance and Irish whiskey, it's just going to grow from there. And yeah. obviously, our, our guest today will speak to that as well, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And this, like, and well, that's that's the one thing I have noticed is it's still like, it's the resurgence is there, but it still needs to like break a couple barriers down to reach some of these other enthusiasts and drinkers out there. Cause you're still, you still get the kind of like the common um uh, the common people still in the conversation occasionally some new people so, come in but the, the, like you said the guest that we have today is is going to be i think a big part of breaking some of those barriers down um and we we're, we're well his product is going to be arriving here and, and it's it's definitely going to help the irish whiskey scene here in, in canada but uh so today today we got we have brendan cardi and he's the founder of one of ireland's i would say most right now to me at least most fascinating and exciting distillery is probably the smallest distillery too maybe but <laughs> um it's like he's he's mixing heritage and innovation and just pushing barriers and i think that's what irish whiskey needs right now so uh brendan how are you doing today not too bad Stephen. thanks very much for a kind introduction <laughs> Yeah, no, it's we're we're excited for your brand. Your brand was some well, it was it was something we had our eye on when Sean brought it to us o over a year ago. Uh, when you, I think you just released your first batch of that five year rum and raisin, and I just like I was getting feedback on that from people I'd never even talked to on social media because everyone was so just like so pleasantly surprised by what a beautiful blend it was. Uh, and so, so it's kind of like, it was a, 
great. Was that the first? Actually, was that the first release? Or I think there was really like there yeah. were some pointing releases prior to that. But that yeah. was the first we, whiskey release. It, but no, we had somewhere we had the bonded experimental series, which went out. That's before. right. Yeah. And they, they, they were like these guys, and uh, they were um, so there were six of those, and they were a complex blend, integrity bottlings, cask strength. Um, That's right. Unfortunately, the Irish whiskey it, it, it's on an upward trajectory at the minute, but. Three years ago, um, the, 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 I didn't see any integrity bottlings in the industry. There's no cask strength, non-filtered, non-chill filtered, telling you where the liquid's coming from on the label. There was a lot of the opposite. That 40% saying that you come from such and such distillery when you don't even have a distillery. And um, yeah, but now this seems to be increasingly the norm, thanks to thanks to ourselves. And I think we just show people, you know, what, what people want. Yeah. As whiskey consumers, we know what we want. Same yeah. as you guys. Exactly. Yeah, so for sure. Just go and do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of been, cl- like, it's been a little bit closed over over the last, I would say, decade or so. And and you're right. It's like you couldn't find those cast strength and, and those unique expressions. And it's it really is amazing how far it has come over the last just few years. When you think of just just purely volume of sales and and you're you're seeing it more on the forefront of social media and people talking about it, discussions and and just Irish whiskey people coming kind of out and 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 being these uh, like just these amazing kind of. Um, speakers and and representatives of, of the genre it's it's really putting it on the map kind of all over the world it's really cool to see brilliant no it is there's definitely a real good energy at the moment you know in the room with them so there's good camaraderie as well between the different brands there's a lot of talking between them you know we set up our own whiskey yeah, guild as well to try and change legislation really right which word, i suppose we'll get talking about <laughs> but uh, the, the, the winds were all blown initially there was huge resistance against change in the industry you know, there's yeah. um, authorities coming after us because, you know, certain organizations are putting in complaints to us and, and things like that. And and, and uh, we had to stop production for a while as a result of that. But all in all, it's all very positive, you know, and it's, it's Irish Miskey's making, it's making a great noise all around the world at the minute, so. It's turning heads, that's for sure. So we like to we like to start these podcasts, especially with our guests who, uh, we'd like to make them kind of talk about themselves and, and to let mm-hmm. our listeners know kind of where where they come from what their journey is so i'd like you to start off by kind of telling us like where where did your whiskey journey start what what um what inspired you to start this tiny little distillery and and uh and do everything that you're doing right now yes can i just jump in before you go brennan and just say uh that i think maybe there's an opportunity for our first ever malt grinding by a guest later on in the episode where Brandon grinds his malts over legislation and terrible practice in the Irish. I'm just saying there's some potential there, but <laughs> sorry. Go on with your story, Brandon. I want to be played. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So uh, there was a global financial crisis, as we all know, not too long ago. And, um, I was studying at the time and then I became an architect and uh, I don't know what it's like over in Canada, but here it takes uh, seven and a half years uh, of study to, to get there. Most people do it in 10, 10 and a half years. Uh, it took me eight and a half years. So whenever, you know, you're working at the time and I just get laid off. There was no work in the country. Architects seemed to be the worst hit. So I was forced to immigrate. Um, that's a word I don't have a problem saying. Like, 
people use the word expat nowadays, but then, uh, so it was an immigrant, proudly. And uh, we were over in Australia, and um, fantastic country. Jeez, it was great, and I was working on really good work out there, you know, lovely buildings. But it was getting involved in whiskey groups. And I, I suppose there was a nostalgia to taste quality Irish whiskey, and I remember once tasting a 24-year-old pot still from Ireland, thinking it's really good. And then um, I was in a whiskey club in Sydney, and uh, we, we, we tasted a two-year-old whiskey from Tasmania. And I'm telling you, this, this stuff's two-year-old. It's Belgrove, they call it, Belgrove Distillery, and I thought the stuff's smashing. It rivaled the best of the Irish that I had tasted at the time. So I went down and met Peter Bignall, the distiller there, and he was talking to me, just, you know, we are having a mutual conversation about old Irish mash bills. Because at the time, I was also speaking with Fanon O'Connor, you know, it just happened to be one of those years where everybody kept dying and getting married. So I was flying home a lot. And every time I came home, I went, I went on the on the whiskey sessions with Fanon. And, and it was indoctrined by his, his research. And uh, this disparity between, you know, Irish whiskey today and, and what it actually was. So, and Peter Bignall in Belgrove Distillery was making mixed mash bill whiskies as well. He was using small scale production, flame fed stills. And then, yeah. I just said, well, I'm going to go home and do my own thing as well. So I did that. And did my own version of a mixture between finance teachings, what Peter does and what I want to do. And that's how Cologne came about. Of course, I have to say, with the help of Liam Brogan, and Shane McCarthy set up a company called Ireland Craft Beverages. And uh, those guys had the, the business know-how and the balls to go and do it alone. So with them beside me and just with, with you know, with the confidence of their business etiquette, um, we set up Cologne Distillery together, the three of us. Did you did you know um Donald and, and uh and Liam and Shane before like before you went to Australia or did you meet them over or where did you end up meeting them? Because I know some of them are yeah. high school friends as well. They are, yeah. Liam and Shane and myself were all in school together. So I suppose we, we knew each other since we were eleven. Um but um, 11 years old. But uh, Donald, we met him a few years later out in, in the States. There was a crowd of us um, went over for, for, for a, a summer on a J1 visa and um, some of the guys stayed a bit longer and enjoyed themselves. So we, we, we were playing football together out there and we just <laughs> sleeping on top of each other basically in a house, <laughs> three-bedroom house. It was about 40 hours, lads, just, just partying. It was good fun. So that's where we met Donald. And uh, yeah, they're from the other side of the country, and uh, we've been very good friends with those guys ever since. Uh, you know, the county Sligo and county Down contingent. <laughs> well, it kind of just probably just works too because you're both you both have these kind of these new um, I don't know like boundary pushing brands. Like Two Stacks is doing some really really interesting stuff as well, and are, so to be yeah. to be partnered, it's it kind of probably is a natural partnership. I can assume. It is indeed, yeah. It's it's all about just putting your head above the parapet and taking chances and uh, going beyond what the, what the standard is. And um, we've come across a lot of resistance in doing that, you know, and trying to be creative. The big guys don't like industry change. And mark my words, in the next few weeks, we will come come across a lot more um, you know, difficulties again. Um, but it's just a sign that you're doing something right. It's a sign that you're ahead of the industry and the industry's going to follow up follow suit but um yeah there's going to be a lot more to come from what i'm hearing today oh no <laughs> more more material for the malt grinding that's coming later <laughs> uh, the, fake, 
big grinding, you know. <laughs> Guys, do you mind if I run and turn off my stills? Um, they've been running now for 12 and a half hours, so I just need to flick them off. That's the, all right, that, one second. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. we, have, uh, we have some intro music we'll put in here for um, when you have to turn the stills off during an episode. Yeah, should we cue our uh, sponsor, maybe? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> cue the sponsors. This is what the sponsors pay for. Yeah, I pay for this time. That's where you need like some elevator music. It's like... One second, I gotta turn off the stills. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, Brendan. We have loads and loads of sponsors. We just filled that time with uh, with one of our um, with one of our sponsor uh, commercials there. Nice one, nice one. Uh, the tails were just running at the end of the night, so yeah. We don't have too much burning at the bottom there, so. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Do you you talked about uh, uh, Finan O'Connor and how? Where, when did you meet him? You were just signing up for some of his his lessons, and yeah. and also what what was it about his writings that kind of inspired you? Like, what are you using from his teachings to to get Cologne kind of going? What. If anybody knows and listens to Fanon talking, you know, he's he, like, you put 20 cents on him and he just doesn't shut up and it's brilliant <laughs> because it's not like he's waffling on and you don't want to listen. You can't help but listen. It's fascinating stuff. He's, he's got, first of all, he, he grabs your attention. I mean, outside of that, he's, he, his historical knowledge is, is brilliant. I and mean, then his opinions are well, well versed as well. So, of course, I don't agree with everything all the time, but, um, I don't agree with everybody, with anybody, to be honest. So all the time. So no, he, he's brilliant to listen to, and his knowledge is brilliant. And thank God, there's was chemistry has him because he's influenced me massively. He's influenced every good distillery in this country massively. Every one of them, even the biggest one. Um, and the, some of them are refusing to to give up public information, public historical information that they've robbed from 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 the Irish community, and they won't give it back. And um, he's seen some of it and, and he's just so well versed and he's dug out evidence left, right and centre. So yeah, where I met Fanon um, was, I bought his book, A Glass Apart. So it's the, like a quintessential a history into Irish whiskey. And I, I didn't know it was him because I, I was uh, at the, the Dingle, the Porterhouse. Um, there's the whiskey bar, the Dingle whiskey bar in Dublin. So I was there at a whiskey tasting and then I was like, geez, that's your man from the book. And then she just kept going back, you know, because if you wanted to know what was happening in the industry, it was a good place to go. And, and uh, there wasn't a lot of good pours around a lot of the bars. So it, it was a struggle to find good whiskey at the time. But thankfully, it's completely changed now in a very short period of time. So, yeah, that's that's how I came about. His book is um, it's absolutely fantastic. But the, mm-hmm. the part that I really found interesting was when people talk about the history of distilling, it's always Ireland, Scotland, they kind of go back and forth. And I'll, I'll let you talk yeah. about that if you want. But I, what I found fascinating was the early history of distillation. And it was like for like perfumes and stuff like that. And I hadn't heard a lot of that stuff and it was in like the middle East. Was it not? And yeah, yeah I right. found it fascinating. Mm. It's funny. So all of that science, even the, you know, astro- astronomy and all came from there as well. And, the European Enlightenment then then brought all that to the fore. It was all taken over to Ireland, and I suppose whenever you know the, the, the fall of the Roman Empire, all of these, all of this push of, of distillation and all this push of, of knowledge went back out then through the rest of Europe afterwards, and medicine as well, and on, on written 
all of that written information went back out throughout throughout Europe again afterwards. So um, yeah, that there's a huge amount of amount of research there, and that that's been done. Um, right back to those medieval manuscripts. So that's that's Fanon's first point of of um, that's his first love, I suppose, would be through medieval um, manuscripts, medieval history. So it's perfectly suited, and the man just absolutely loves booze. So when you mix the two together, you know, <laughs> you know. Plus, he's relentless. You know, and he, he he does these relentless searches through, you know, um, historical records in the public office and these dusty old books and uh, that nobody would be interested in looking at up until now. So uh, it takes it takes a lot of dedication to go through that information. It's not all recorded in. You know, you can't just word, word search on Wikipedia or on Google. It has to be just going through reams and reams of information. And he's oh, done man. that. <clears throat> I'm sure it's not all in a, like it's not all presented in one place either. Like you're yeah. looking through, you're probably combing through so much stuff to find just like one yeah. small piece to patch it together with another. It's pretty amazing. Well, and and he, I was I was watching an interview uh, just before this that he had done and. He even says, like, it's like any kind of history. It's filled with bullshit. And it's yeah. it's not only just reading what, what's written, but it's filtering through all that to find the truths mm-hmm. and to be able to decipher and get the information out of it. And, like, it's it, it's fascinating hearing him talk. Like, I've obviously done a couple of live um, YouTube things with him before. But, yeah, I mean, the book I had read long before that, and I've reread it now, and... Yeah, it's just, you know, if you want any knowledge on this, especially the history, it's he's like the one-stop shop for everything. <laughs> exactly, and he's so generous. Um, he doesn't he doesn't charge for his information. I think, think he just gives it out to people who he thinks, you know, are going to do the right thing with it. So he's very good at giving all that information out to all of the distilleries who essentially are commercial enterprises. But he just does it because he believes in the category. He believes in the integrity of the Irish whiskey industry, so he gives it out. There's a lot of people in Ireland who are actually a bit upset because he, he, he's over in, in Edinburgh Whiskey Academy in Scotland doing a course in Irish whiskey over there. I thought he should have done it here, but he went where, where he was appreciated. And, um, you know, that's that, that's that's the good thing. He just sees that whole idea of camaraderie and transparency in the whiskey industries, which is great. Yeah, I could see, like, he'll get an immediate audience probably at Edinburgh, right? So it's... Yeah. Yeah, like, you can't, you can't fault the guy for... For wanting that, well, it's funny. He done a lot of research into. He's looking at in Scotland as well, and the reality is, that, well, I'm going to put it in this way. I don't think he would, but in a way, the this the idea of a single malt is a fabrication, um, especially in Scotch whiskey. The Scotch didn't make single malts up until you know recently enough, you know, and it was mixed master whiskey, just like you guys, just like us guys. The oat in particular was used massively in Scotland. The black oat in particular, um, now known as the Donegal black oat, was all around the Hebrides. Because, you know, the Hebrides in Ireland are just so close together. So the, the oat was used up until, you know, recently enough as well. So it's 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 something cool. And I think the Scots are going to start entering this mixed mashbill race as well very soon. But um, thankfully, we're we're miles ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'd like to get into Kilowin, like the distillery, a little bit. Um, mm. And usually, usually we ask, we'll ask our guests what kind of what separates you from from the your your com- like the competition kind of thing with Kilowin. There's we could probably sit here for an entire day and talk about everything that separates you. But yeah, you do. You have a you have a very traditional 
process. Um, like I'd, I'd like to kind of hear you speak to that and, and speak to where the passion comes from for, and, and the reason why you're, you're dedicated to these processes. Yeah. Let's start, start the mash bills, yeah. mash bills. It's all about the mash bills too. Right. So making Irish whiskey the way it should be made. So there was a huge pushback from the mainstream industry on trying to make proper Irish pot still. The way Irish pot still was made whenever it was king before the, the growth of Scotch, before Scotch over take, took Irish whiskey. So we're talking, you know, 100 to 200 years ago, in between that century. So it was a glorious time for Irish whiskey. So that a new emerging middle class of Irish Americans and even European Americans throughout um, the Americas, which was, uh, you know, as well in Canada at the time too, were, were drinking Irish whiskey, they weren't drinking Scotch. And it was pot still Irish whiskey. So those mash bills that we were going for, over 30%, say, oats, rye, and wheat, these adjuncts of oats, rye, and wheat, whereas the current legislation only allows for 5%. So that was the main aim, to make whiskey we wanted to drink. Because if you want to taste this stuff, you're paying thousands for bottle shares uh, just to get a, a little a little taste. And um, it's gorgeous stuff. So what we wanted to make, so we couldn't afford to drink that stuff, so we said, let's go and start making it. But... Um, as an architect, I've got a keen ethos on, on environment and environmental sustainability. So we built, and we didn't have much of a budget either, so it worked very well. We we built this distillery from upcycled materials from a disused old building, um, even down to the security, everything, all the metal, everything just from up, is upcycled. Um, we use a roller mill because it's not the Stone Age, so we're allowed to buy a piece of machinery for that. And then um, flame-fed stills, yeah, so... Fire under the stills is important. Um, anybody with a culinary background will have heard of the Milliard reaction or the Maillard reaction. So it's a French culinary scientist from the last century. Uh, coined the term Milliard was his name. And it's whenever proteins from the yeast, so those amino acids and the sugars burn together at the base of the still and create this lovely charring, this burnt note that comes through on your, on your palate at the end. And we mightn't be aware of it, but all of us like a little bit of burnt in our food. And it's, it was an evolutionary thing. Whenever we discovered to cook our food, we were living longer. We spent less, less time going to the toilet. It was great. So that idea, like that's why we like creme brulees. That's why we like toast as opposed to bread. That's why we like to barbecue steaks rather than boil them in water. So they, they, you get the same food value, but see, that's the whole idea of it. So if you can add that extra layer of complexity in the background, it's triggering something in your brain that's much more enjoyable. And that we, we were bringing that back as a must. It's so essential, and it definitely works uh, every morning. I mean, I don't know if anybody watched my Instagram story this morning, but we were busy in and scraping the you know the the burnt off the base of the still, and then you know you're cleaning it and then getting stuck into the next day's work. Uh, so it's it's good fun, you know, but 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 it's hard work. So that hands-on approach as well from start to finish. Our mash tun was an upcycled dairy tank. So we 14 bags, 25 kilogram bags, um, go into our mash tun and we mix them all together. So in descending order, it's malted barley, then unmalted barley, then oat, rye and wheat, all into the mash tun together. And um, we do it with boat paddles. We don't have a big agitator. So everything's done just by hand, mixing it in, which is pretty physical work. But again, um, we get a good yield that way. And there's just, we can see what we're doing and we're breaking down each grain and we're adjusting the roller mill to suit. So we have to squash the oats a wee bit finer. We go, the, the malted barley is much more open. So it's just broken, things like that. So it's, it's um, yeah, the, the rye needs to be broken much, 
much more closely together because it's a much smaller kernel. So there's there's that that time around the process and and you know keeping a good eye from start to finish that's important. Most importantly is the cuts. The cuts are done by nose. They change. They they stay in around the same bracket, but they can change. If we have a wash that's stronger some days than other days, you know, uh, the cuts end up being different in the spirit still as a result. Uh, if there's cool days, if there's hot days, uh, it takes longer for our stills to heat up. These are all the all factors. Uh, or fermentations sometimes they don't go too well because we do wild fermentations. <laughs> we let our fer- ferment- fermentations sit outside for two days before we pitch the yeast. So the wild atmosphere gets in there with wild yeast. Yeasts and bacteria are in different concentrations at different times of the year. You can imagine in some in the autumn time, there's much more yeast in the atmosphere. There's much more bacteria in the atmosphere because that's when lactobacilli reproduce, and um, they're breaking down organic matter in the middle of the winter. It's different in the summer. It's rampant as well. There's much more heat, you know, so you have much more successful fermentations. So these things prevent us from having consistency. But for us as a small dis- distillery, consistency is an enemy. We don't want consistency. <laughs> as an enthusiast, we don't want it either. <laughs> yeah, you know. We're a little bit ahead of the industry in that part, you know. They'll all catch up. They're already copying, so it's good. <laughs> yeah, you know you're doing something right, right? It's funny, yeah. we, we're actually just having conversations about all this with a, lo- a new local distillery here called Anoka. And they're, 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 they're trying to kind of emulate the same, like similar practices to, to like a distillery like your own. And, and mm-hmm. they want to create truly unique expressions and they want natural, as much natural, um, kind of impression into their, into their spirit at a B uh, we're going to have to connect you honestly. Cause I think you guys will, uh, you guys will have a lot of long conversations that I know he's, he's mm. asked us to kind of put, put him in touch with some people that we know just so we can talk about this stuff. Cause it's not, I seen you guys there. I seen yeah. you guys, we did speak to them as a result of that, but I, I need to reach out again. You know, it's great to see. Brilliant. It's, you know? it's, it's amazing. And it's good. It's going to be really good for, yeah, for our category out here to see mm. some more distilleries kind of, uh, just yeah, with some willingness to kind of step outside the box and, and try these uh, these methods, right? Definitely. It's, fun- you know, it, it's funny because I know when they first got their stills installed, people were kind of questioning their decision to go with direct flame fired stills, and like obviously the proof is in the pudding. Like any yeah. any direct flame still whiskeys that I've had especially recently have knocked the socks off of anything else. And it's just, it's, you know, they're having some issues getting their flames dialed in, but I mean, that's, that's going to happen to any new distillery. You're going to find those little tweaks that you got to make. And in the end, like they say, it'll be well worth it because the final product will be that much better. Just going through all these tribulations on the way there. I'm sure. I'm sure, Brendan, you've probably done your research on this, but the, there's Scotch distilleries who have switched from flames to steam and realized that the, the whiskey's not the same and have switched back or have tried to recreate the character from the flames. So, I mean, just to say that, that there isn't a difference is, is just, it can't be true, right? Oh, yeah. Like Glenn Barclays was the famous one, you know, and they, they had an imploded still, God love them, and then. Um, whenever Foresight's or still makers were like, yeah, we get you new still, and they stuck in the gas one, and then started tasting the distillate when I was aging a few years later, and they're like, 
get rid of this. <laughs> so they ripped out the gas and stuck the flames back in under it again. And much more of that milliard reaction. That's what it's all about. Do you know what another trick is? Everybody, you know, whenever you use your uh, your fermenters and they've got the cone shape at the bottom, which captures all that dead yeast, and then you can get the wash, the beer basically from the top and you can stick it in. So you know, and that, that prevents burning in your still. The proteins don't end up in your still to the same extent. All of that dead yeast doesn't end up in there to the same extent. What we actually do is make sure it's just mixed up. So the wash that we're burning is thick as hell because there's all that yeast is still in it. We throw it in there and we encourage the bloody burning, you know. <laughs> just let it go. It's, it's all flavor. It's all flavor. You know, you can't. Well, it all contributes to flavor in the end, right? Like all these little yeah, nuances. So they do. They definitely do. And sometimes, you know, it mightn't be as concentrated as others. And again, consistency isn't important, you know. So are you are you finding with those fermentations with the wild yeast, are you seeing some huge fluctuations in terms of how long you're fermenting or and you're like is it is it pretty consistent or are you finding some days sometimes you're doing it for three days other days for five or six yeah so at the minute it would be like a fortnight you know and then i'd say in the summertime it's it's four days and we we would like it to be a wee bit longer but for some reason there's still so much bacteria and yeast in the atmosphere in the summertime that it's it's still you still get this really bitter fruity fruity wash as a result but in the winter the much longer ones have a, have a different more so they distillate in the winter and summer's definitely tasting different you know but i'd say on average we'd go minimum a week and then maximum would be uh would be a <laughs> tell you we're doing a really funky one at the minute that's that's been going since christmas and it's since before christmas and it's oh, it's, wow. it's 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 never had yeast and it. it's just completely wild and it's active i don't know how it's active so <laughs> you know you know what would be a good idea for a release a two-part release is you do a winter fermentation release and a mm. summer fermentation release, same yeah. mash bill, same yeah. everything, but just, yeah. just a side-by-side. People would absolutely love that, I bet. I'd love to do that. I might just do that, sit on a bit of spirit from the summer and then you know, pitch the two at the same time, maybe, yes. because they'd have to be put in a cask at the same time to try and give it a fair test. Yeah, same cask, just a, like a brief refill bourbon or something, just so you can really pick out the, the notes that are different from those two completely different fermentations. Yeah. You're, you're getting me excited now. Yeah. I might do that. I'll put a car, I'll put a 200 liters or something away of new mix for it. And then the thing is it takes us, takes us over a week to make a cask. We only produce about 150 maximum 200 liters a week. You know, <laughs> that's it's, it's tiny volumes here. A cask a week. I know, I know. <laughs> so is, does that mean throughout the process, like, are you going to, you're going to continue to source whiskey as well then, obviously, you, you source from yeah. all over because you, you just have yeah. yeah, I enjoy buying whiskey. You're always learning. Like, there's some whiskeys out there that are beautiful and you love buying them in and mixing them uh, and blending them. There was, there was a nice one we done, <clears throat> you know, we got a little bit of scotch and mixed it with Irish as well. We got a Kalila beautiful whiskey and we dotted it with with Bushmills whiskey from here and we put the two together and there's another version of it coming out soon you know it's part two but um yeah whenever you, you've mix things together and then you age them creatively yeah it's great but what we're finding is no matter what you age in rum and on piac cherry casks it's 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 lovely you just have to pull it out at the right time I think it, it makes everything taste better. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth, like creating, creating whiskey doesn't stop at distilling, right? Blending, blending yeah. is its own art form. So it's, 
it's probably mm-hmm. cool to be able to kind of express your creativity in both the blending side and the distilling side. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Our own liquid, um, you know, we just finalized the branding for our own stuff, um, for our own whiskey when it's ready. So it'll always be in a different st- style of bottle, um, you know, and it'll always say if it's sourced or not on the like on the label, which fortunately is becoming, it's becoming more more practiced now you know there's still a few few of the bigger brands that aren't even a few of the bigger independent brands that aren't doing it but what do you I do? mean yeah. we want that though like i don't get why there's a hesitancy like if it's good and it tastes good and it has your name on it why not say where it's from and that's one thing obviously with cologne like cologne and two stacks like it says like even on a can that's this big you have yeah. like the breakdown of what's in there and people are like in shock that that's a thing and like that's how it should be what well, says yeah, right I'm on the back right. of the sorry it says right on the back of the kilowin bottle passionate about transparency yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like it's it's, so it's a passion on top of everything else because it's you want you want people to know right yeah Remember, we, we were doing it and then we got reported because, you know, we, we said what the age of the different components were because the front of our bottle actually said 10-year-old whiskey, but there was parts of it were 11-year-old and parts of it were 12-year-old. We were just telling the year, that, but we weren't trying to say it. It was only in small print on the back of the bottle. And this was another thing that we got reported for. So um, the email came from Drinks Ireland and it went to, initially it went to, I think it was Deerfra, which they, they didn't know what they were doing. It went to London. Then went to Glasgow and went to our local council and all sorts of things because you're aware that our country's split into the north still part of of the United Kingdom and Great Britain. So um, well, anyway, this is what happened. There's the, the back of the label. We ended up having to scribble this information out <laughs> <laughs> with a little That's sharpie. Awesome. Yeah. So for awesome. the last four releases, yeah, we just kept we kept we just as a protest we continued to print the labels that way and scribble it out as just as a mark just to show that there's an issue in the industry you know and um, that's great yeah so the sharpies might make a return you never know in the future <laughs> we should probably at some point here uh talk about the point the poitin the poitin you i'll let you pronounce it but you're right yeah just because you were talking about um oats and you were actually telling us the story about just how hard it is to work with oats using those canoe paddles but do you want to tell us about the project that you're working on uh, with Fanon and the and the, yeah. the mash bill of that one yes Pachin's brilliant Pachin is whiskey's daddy Pachin was made illegal in 1661 in Ireland with the formation of excise duty basically because nobody could afford to make it legally because Irish people weren't allowed to own their own businesses. Uh, it wasn't like in Scotland. So whenever it was colonized, it was it was done a lot, a lot more harshly here. And um, so you couldn't pay access if you weren't allowed to have your own business. Do you know what I mean? And uh, But luckily it, it survived on, even in the mountains up until this day, it survived on in rural locations. Um, Potching means little pot, but it doesn't just mean little pot. It means my, my beloved little pot. So that's our Potching bottle here, the standard one. And uh, it gives a recipe in the back, you know, as well. So just teaching people how they should be doing things. Luckily, there's other distilleries in Ireland that just registered, you know, their labels recently for the TTP, which is brilliant to see. It's absolutely brilliant. So Potching, this is the year of the Potching. I, we, I call it 2022, the year of the Potching this year. Mark my words, Potching is going to, it'll not explode this year, but it's going to really grow. There's a lot more brands coming on the scene and they're going to start coming into Canada and the States. And it's great to see. If Potching is to whiskey what 
mezcal is to tequila. So if you keep that in mind, there's a good future ahead for it, you know? Not a lot of people uh, know what pointing is. Yeah, pointing is. It's a way, it's a way of, um, it's, it's, you, you can just put in unused whiskey, you know, but if you're creative about it, you'll create your own mash bill. And uh, you'll use small stills and you'll use flame-fed stills. So we're working on that now at the minute to try and create some sort of a category for it, you know, of recognition that we're hopefully going to place ourselves in the guild. And uh, that's something that, that I'm working on at the minute. Um, so you can take all these boxes. Some people make it with a little bit of, you know, root vegetables as well but we were talking about Fanon O'Connor earlier and Fanon done a huge amount of research into Pachin as well that was published in the Irish Whiskey Magazine by Sergios now uh, the one of the the earlier Pachins was known as Balkan which is an Irish translation for madness to the head or a knock to the head <laughs> so last week Fanon dug out a new piece of research in Balkan for me and it showed whenever King Billy won uh, his, when he conquest, his conquest of Ireland at the Battle of the Boyne first thing he done was introduce excise duty into all of the booze that was in Ireland at the time I'm not going to lie there was a lot of booze always and that still is to this day but the one that he, he put most excise on was Balkan in fact, double that. Vulcan was double that of Aquavite. So, and this is Vulcan now. This is the first time it's been bottled and named as such, probably hundreds of years. So, we found the old recipe, which is 50% uh, malted barley and malted barley. By the way, this is an exclusive. I just stuck this on when we were chatting before the show. So, this is the first time this has been shown. Is that back to front for everybody? I don't know. For its oh, yeah, but, no, uh, right. that's the first time I stuck that label on we were chatting this is the first time I took it out of the box it arrived today <laughs> so it's called Dead and Buried we're doing two of them one of them's going to be in a cask and one's going to be out of the cask but this stuff is phenomenal and we're, we're selling this at still strength so it's 68% it's not Jeez. it's not watered down at all but uh, it, it and it's 100% peat smoked it's all we use local oats. We, we, we smoke on site with local turf, local peat. We, we smoke on a little shed out the side of our, our distillery. Everything's done on site. <laughs> Sean's delighted. <laughs> so that, and all of this flavour follows through, you know. And uh, we took really broad cuts on it. I'll just tell you what Balkan is, right? Because there's so much oats in there, oats is like custards, custard cookies if you have them over there. I don't know. But it's like, creamy custardy notes is what oats brings to the to the pal to the pal to the mash bill. And it also brings oil, huge oil. So when you so much oil in this spirit, you can drink it at cask strength. And whenever you're drinking it, it doesn't burn like it you would expect. If you drink vodka at that, it would rip your mouth off. Yeah. But you can drink this and you can keep drinking it and keep drinking it. And before you know it, you're absolutely polexed, you know? So that's the idea why they call it madness to the head. And that's why King Billy taxed it so much because people were just getting smashed all the time and this is the secret recipe you know it doesn't burn and you can drink away at it you know I cannot wait to try that <laughs> it's, it's it's absolutely bonkers it's it's the best spirit we've made you know but we were talking before about you know setting some special stuff aside for Canada and we'll definitely set a few of these aside then and get them over to you guys yeah uh, it would be really cool to introduce just introduce some whiskey people over here or just anybody in general to, to point in. And is, can it be made outside of Ireland technically? Because there are some Canadian distilleries making it. Like there's no rules around that? There, there apparently are rules about it, but thankfully, Apachin was legislated into a ghetto by the Irish whiskey lobby. Um, so it wasn't only outlawed by colonialism. 
it was basically trampled on again by our own people who are far removed from our own distillation, probably because a lot of these companies aren't owned by Irish companies in the first place, they're overseas companies. But the, the, the people have still have no respect for it. There's enormous snobbery, these social climbing people that are just, they don't want to recognise the quality projects that we have. Like, if you look at it, Mescal was overlooked for so long. You know, it's a, it's a peasant drink. If you go to Italy and you think of food, for instance, you know, pizza, it was a peasant food. It wasn't at by, by the upper classes back in time. Pachin hasn't had its day yet. Pachin needs to come to the floor and it's people are waking up now. But the, the, the GI that governs this is, is terrible. It's, it's ridiculous. Basically, you can put column still liquid into a bottle and call it Pachin at the moment, which is a farce. And um, you know, I mean, not only if it's small column still, that's fine, but you can put essentially vodka. They're allowing people to make it out of whey, whey protein, which is obnoxious. Um, mm-hmm. So just be very careful on this stuff. So this stuff has damaged the industry. It's damaged the category up until now when there's really good quality ones coming out, which is great. But uh, I don't know what got me on to that. <laughs> I think we, 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 we pointed you in that direction that we wanted yeah. to hear about the point, the poaching. Um, but the, the, I how, do you say, how do you pronounce that, Travis? Uh, it's, I think we're going to have to do like a poutine, <laughs> poutine and poitine promotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's here because we love poutine. So if you tie it with poutine, I think we're going to really kill it. Can we mash some exactly. poutine and turn it into poitine? <laughs> it's the same in Ireland. In the north, we say poutine. And then if you go just across the border, it's more poutine. Poutine. Well, that would really confuse a Canadian then. And then we'd say poutine. If you listen to the podcast, uh, Brendan, you'll know we are all linguist, linguistic specialists, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out over time. But is it? Is it I heard an interview with you um, on another podcast, I believe, and you were talking about there's something about you can't because it, it it can't be aged in a cask or it can't yes. be there's something about the cask, but you're kind of cheating That's the rule right. a little bit or or yeah, spreading, no, you know. yeah, you're not allowed to do it for any more than ten weeks. Sorry, and you're on the, not just that, you're not allowed to say cask aged on the bottle, you're not allowed to say the word cask. So, whenever we released Stone Soup, Stone Soup, I don't know if anybody's ever heard the story of Stone Soup. Um, it's kind of a socialist story, you know, if that's still, is that not a bad word? I don't know, but uh, basically, it's about sharing, <laughs> you know. So, the, the Stone Soup story is um, yeah, about people sharing, and it's but you know, people at the top are making the laws, basically. That's our point we're getting across here, are totally removed from what, what real people do every day and in everyday life. And, and uh, Irish patching, this is highlighting all the issues in the legislation. So 10 weeks, as you say, it says on the bottle, you're not allowed to say cask aged. You're not allowed to use the word cask. So we wrote C asterisk SK. So we're really, <laughs> really pushing the boundaries there. <laughs> I'm still waiting on the phone call for that one. You know, but... Uh, yeah, there's there's a number of things you just can't you can't do. But again, the Irish this, Irish John Glazer here pushed in the associate or the <laughs> the legislation around. Yeah, <laughs> good man, John Glazer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like why? Like why? I don't know. I I don't understand the why stifle people's creativity. Like there's real there's really no point other than just exercise of control sometimes, right? That's it. It's competition. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's it's competition. Keep the competition away. It's yeah. um you know it's like I'm not going to try and defend Brewdog in any way, but I think the recent uh, publicity on Brewdog was completely and totally orchestrated by the big companies. And I'm not trying to defend them. But when wrongs are wrongs, but these things come to light, 
um, it's not just a matter of, of, of it's not just a freak incident, you know. Um, but that's something to keep in mind. And uh, yeah, once once a, a small upstart becomes big enough, you know, they, they'll use every weapon in the arsenal to keep them down. What do we? Can we turn that into a news segment? Because I have no idea what happened with. Brudock. Yeah, can you can you fill us in on what happened to Brudock? Well, basically, there's a there's a Netflix documentary on them um, because they oh. tried to break into America, and you know you don't break into America as a big player. You can do it in the UK, all right, but if you go over there, Bud Light are basically like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so what, the way you do it is by blackening your name. And the wrongs were done, no doubt about it. But uh, that's my, that's, whenever you have a critical mindset, I suppose you can look, just look behind the, the curtain and figure out what happened. But uh, Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that for sure. What do you mean by, by blackening their name? Like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, I suppose the, there might have been wrongs done if, if what's in the show is correct. But um, I don't want to really delve into, into all those, those issues that were brought up, but it, it's funny that they come to light, um, you know, at a time whenever it's very useful for them to come to light, you know, to try. Yeah, because they're, they're a very successful company in the UK and Scotland, you know. Um, yeah. It's just interesting. So the idea that someone did not want them to be successful in the US, someone, you know, I maybe, think so. maybe helped a, a certain documentary get made and uh, yeah. maybe said some things that aren't necessarily yeah. true <laughs> Netflix is brilliant for that do you ever see those documentaries they always have an agenda I remember watching oh, yeah. one recently about mushrooms and it was definitely a few millionaires who millionaires who really enjoy growing mushrooms do you know what I mean they start talking about the mycelial network and things like that under the ground and the next thing you know it just jumps into a mushroom lobby you know <laughs> legalised mushrooms Are we talking- like, oh, what are we talking you, like uh, mushrooms in a salad or mushrooms for to make no, our no, brains feel funny? Like yeah, brain, uh, brain hallucinogenic, mush. hallucinogenics yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. There, there's yeah. a bunch of lobbying surrounding that right now. There's, there I've is, listened, yeah. And I've, listened awesome. to, yeah. Uh, I've listened to psychologists and psychiatrists talk about like anecdotal evidence of this of those. So I'd be curious to watch the documentary because there's apparently yeah. it's it, there's apparently a ton of research that's been done, but it just got shut down and turned into this terrible drug so they couldn't do any more research but yeah, apparently shut mental, it down. Men, mental health and stuff there's some benefits there just just oh, like just like opioids the, the the government will focus on shutting it all down until they learn how to produce and tax it themselves and then it'll become no, honestly that's, yeah. that's that's exactly how it was for a lot of these things right yeah they should we're probably not, hurry up and do it yeah, they, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> everything we're, should be legalized I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> portugal's still working Portugal's still here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a whiskey podcast though. So let's not get too <laughs> far off the track here. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, go ahead, Tra. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I don't think it would be, it would be too bad to have Brendan do a light malt grinding and you don't have to be mean, but I think it would be kind of interesting just to hear your take on some of the things we've discussed, but just in relation to, um, you know, these, these, uh, rules and regulations and how they seem to kind of hurt the companies, the smaller companies, they don't really help you move forward and, and just kind of touch on it. Cause it is a big part of what you do. And, and like you said, just seeing you scribble out words on the back of a bottle to make it work. Um, yeah. but it's, and he said, John Glazer, right? John Glazer's been, you know, he wasn't allowed to put staves inside of a cask for, for spice tree. And he had to change that all like stuff like that. I think 
our community of whiskey nerds are really interested in that. And you have a pretty good behind the scenes look at all of it. Yeah. In fact, massively. So there's ourselves, right? There's a, there's the main body in, in Ireland for, for, you know, governance and, and, and overlooking and, and they assume the role of policing is the Irish Whiskey Association. All in all, they do a very good job of that. But their, their membership fees were extortionate. In fact, to such an extent that I think only large companies could afford to pay them. And um, I didn't really, I didn't, I, 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 we thought myself, Blackwater Distillery, yeah, going the two stacks, and um, Louise McGowan and JJ Corey and WD O'Connell, the four companies sat down together, two distilleries and two bonders, and we created what's known as the Irish Whiskey Guild. So we now have 14 producers, whiskey producers in the country, small producers together. So we're a registered lobby group. And we we basically have a, 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 a conversations with the department who make the legislation and we're trying to reform this legislation. It's a very slow process and you have to show real good cause for, for, for reform. So one of the things we're going to be reforming is the patching category. So right now, legislation is changing. And because we have the, the you know, the, the legal means by which to do this and we're being listened to, rightfully so, and we're doing things properly. Um, and because, I, I'm not going to take away from this, because of Fanon O'Connor's research in the industry um, and, and historical practices and educating the public, things are starting to change as a result of that. Um, you can't just have one party ruling the roost. Even if, it's, you know, you need, it needs to be a wee bit more democratic and uh, so that's why there's there there's now two lobby groups and one that represents the small. So it's it's a battle of David and Goliath, and we all know how that one worked out in the end. So things do try to change, but all in all, there's no schism within the Irish whiskey industry at all. Though it's still there's still everyone's still moving in the right direction. I I love all the Irish whiskies. I still buy the ones that are made from the big guys, and I, you know. I collect them sometimes as well if it's a valuable bottle. I'm you know, waiting for a special occasion to open it. Um, but yeah, there's there's um, there's, there's massive camaraderie there. There's there's great. Yeah, I think the whole industry as a whole is fantastic. I wouldn't try to, to take away from it, but there are certain people within the industry who have made complaints to to. It's funny, <laughs> the Department of Agriculture in the Republic are in charge of the, this stuff. So the guys in the Republic. Uh, reported us to the Department of Agriculture in the UK. <laughs> they thought that they were the same thing. So they reported us to the one in London. And they're like, no, no, wrong department. You need to go to HMRC. So they went to HMRC in, in Scotland, which is funny enough. And then they, they went to the local environmental health office in our local town. So uh, we were getting it from all bloody angles. So we just had to shut the whole thing down and make sure everything was there one. You know, it sounds like um, they think you're. It sounds like they think you're growing uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms over there or something. Yeah, must do. <laughs> must do. They don't need to grow; they grow themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just need to look for. Them. But it's, it's it's like Japanese whiskey. Like they just last year came in with you know guidelines and rules, and obviously, like you said, with uh, Fionn's research, like he's saying, like this is how it was made. And that, that's right. So I don't see how they're like the big multinationals. Yeah, how they have a leg to stand on. Like, if anything, it's gonna they're gonna be the ones left behind. Which yeah. I, personally, I already feel one of the biggest ones is getting left behind because they're not showing any want or need to change what they're doing. They have a small, tiny, little micro distillery that's 
you know, doing some experimental stuff, but you can't get any of that stuff because it's produced so, so small. And everything else was just shoving down our throat, saying this is the be all yeah. end all. And like, yeah, maybe the casual drinker buys into that, but anybody that knows any better is just like, no, this isn't how it should be. Yeah, they're losing credibility fast. I find amongst amongst um, you know proper drinkers, it's definitely happening. So there there will be a lot of waking up. And in fact, as you say, I've, I've actually heard from members of staff and these big distilleries, they are now experimenting into broad mash builds and things like that. So it is happening now, which is really interesting, you know, pushing well into the oats again, which is, is great. And um, I think the kudos belongs to just the small people um, doing the whiskey tastings, looking into the, uh, making a lot of noise, yeah. doing a lot of shouting to see where things are taking off. I suppose it's just like the craft beer industry. Whenever people were making these lovely little beers, you know, um, Diageo then started to make these, you know, craft beers as well. And on there, they've done very well. They created whole new brands, you know. Um, but well, it's like sa- sales, sales can kind of—I don't know—you you kind of forget heritage, kind of lose your way a little bit when you see the the, the dollar signs. Honestly, right? That goes for any of these yeah. big corporations in any industry, right? You lose, you kind of lose touch a bit. So it's yeah. they're going to have to, yeah, they're going to have to do something to kind of regain the trust of, of the enthusiast. Cause that's where it starts. It starts with the enthusiasts. It's the enthusiasts that are speaking for a lot of these brands out there for them, right? Like we're, we're yeah. the ambassadors. We're the, we're the representatives of the, of this whiskey. So that they need to please us to really like control the, control the narrative, I think. Right. True. I think so. And what they should also do is sell to improve their own brands. They need to sell their liquid out to bonders, to independent producers, independent yeah. bottlers. They do that in Scotland. It works very well, but they're not doing it here. And they don't realize that, that the, a lot of the integrity of their liquid, you know, is is upheld through independent bottlings, and that's not happening here. And in fact, instead of um, encouraging those contracts, they're actually closing them off. So it's, it's sad to see, you know. So if you look at, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, although the Scotch independent bottlers, it's the only way to taste some of these distilleries in a quality way. You wouldn't yeah. go for an off-the-shelf bottling. Um, so it's well, none of them can get their hands on anything at all, right? They haven't been able to for a while now, which is sad. Exactly. Yeah. True. True. But it it goes to show, like, like obviously, Cologne notwithstanding, because we've only had like you said, one tasting with one release, but some of the stuff that is available here, like the Kilbeg and their single pot still has the 2.5% oats. The drum shambo has the oats in it. So uh, like they obviously have to stay within that 5% right now. But if it, if it does open up to where it was 200 years ago and you allowed 30% of each, like that, those two alone with the oats in them, like you can taste and feel that, that presence so like to me it doesn't make any sense why you know a single pot still distillery that's big why they wouldn't want to you know they could they could release a bottle tomorrow with two two and a half three percent oats in it call it some bullshit name and release it as a exclusive and it's going to sell higher than anything else but they won't Exactly, I know, and that would be a, it would be a brilliant if they did. It really would. I don't know what the fear is. I really don't. Um, our stuff, our stuff's going to be released. Um, this is March, so next month our whiskey's going to be ready, 
and um, we can't call it pot still whiskey, even though they were making pot still for longer that way than they haven't. Um, and the whole industry, it's just so that is pot still, we can't call it pot still. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's hard. we have to call it, we just have to call it Irish whiskey. What's the Nashville? Oh, it's um, it's about well, I'll talk, I'll grab the uh, I didn't know it was that close to being ready. That's exciting. <laughs> Well, look at the the Kilbegan rye that they have. It's because it's 30-30-30 pretty much, like 33-33-33. And Fionan even told us that when he tasted it out of the cask, it was labeled as single pot still. But then when they bottled it and labeled it, they weren't allowed to call it single pot still. And that's what it is. It's a pot still using rye as the third grain. Exactly. So um, this is, it's 50% malted barley. And then it's about 21% unmalted barley. Then there's 14% oats. And then about 7.2% rye and 7.2% wheat. Very it's cool. all good. If you think about it, mal- malted barley gives you, you know, those honey digestive biscuits. I don't know if you get digestive biscuits in Canada, but we, they're like a type of cookie. They're like a whole grain cookie. And then oats, custard creams, it's another cookie we get here. It's basically cream and custard. That's the flavor you get from your oats and mouthfeel and body. And then with the wheat, you know, wheat for us, it's, a, it's kind of like a bread, you know, we don't get a huge amount of spice on it. Wheat, wheat, sort of a bit of a ghost one. We have it in there just as a principle uh, for, for me, really. And then rye is the brilliant one. Rye, one bag of rye out of 14th mash bills, one in 14 of the rye. Mint sauce, uh, like a little bit of dill, a little bit of, you know, vegetable note, sort of, you know, a nice earth, you know, but for us, mint, mint leaf, it's coming in there in a bit of space and it just pulls the whole thing together. So, great crack, you know, great fun. You could call it five grain, to try could you call it five grain Irish whiskey, essentially. Could you call it? Could you, yeah, like it's five grain, yeah. You're not allowed to create a new category as well. You have to use one of the existing categories. So, yeah. Can't invent a new one, could you write? Could you write five grain with a sharpie somewhere on the bottom? Yeah. <laughs> sure, and then blame, blame somebody else. Say somebody's vandalized our bottles out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that, this, uh, is that stuff been in bourbon cast, Brendan? Uh, yeah, the first our cast number one is PX Sherry casks, and then cast number two is. Jeez, oh, yep. I know. I know. It's just it's unfortunate to the people of Ireland that it's all coming to Canada. It's just really a shame. <laughs> no one in Ireland will get to drink that stuff. It, it'll be sitting in the Cologne uh, storage warehouse in Spruce Grove, Alberta, Canada. Yeah, I'll erect I'll erect a you shed know, out here just for it. One of the main tasting notes in that mash in that cask uh, is Canadian bacon with maple syrup. Oh, Do you know that thing Canadian bacon you get with maple? That's a massive taste with like maple syrup over the top of it. It's it's definitely in there. It's unbelievable. I don't know how. I think the PX well, that will sell PX. that will sell here. No problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, and are the yeah. are the standard Cologne bottles going to be five hundred mil like the rum and raisin, or are they going to be seven hundred mil? Five hundred. Yeah, because we do make our this, the stock is such small amounts of stock. Yeah. You know that uh, just have to do it that way hard to spread it out as much as you do if it's in 750 bottle mill or bottles, right? Milliliter bottles or 700 mil bottles. Exactly. I just, just, um, I was thinking about this today. We were thinking of releasing cask one and two at the same time because there's not going to be enough stuff to go around, but cask number two is, is actually a GI compliant mash bill and it's put into a bourbon cask. 
you know, so maybe if it was released both at the same time, there's probably more chance of people getting them, but then some people might want to have, I don't know. Either way, they're going to have unhappy people, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you find, uh, back to like the, that kind of the separation that exists between the big brands and all the new small brands kind of thing, do you think like, when, when do you kind of see that coming together? Because I find that Irish whiskey is similar to Canadian whiskey in the sense that there's there's such a gap between the craft distillers and the larger distillers. When like scotch, scotch whiskey and bourbon whiskey, it's they kind of just they are what they are. And, and the craft distillers and the and the big brands, they still band together. They make very similar styles. And but the I find that like Canadian and Irish categories are just a little bit more confusing for the average drinker to the point where it almost scares them away from getting into it. Right. Like what, what, how do you, how do we get past that? How do you think you get past that? Is it just a simple knowledge? Like education is basically the answer or. I think anything that grows fast falls fast as well. I think, I think we're going, I think Canadian whiskey is doing very well at the minute as is Irish. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to explode. Do you know what I mean? I think a gradual slow growth is the best growth and then yeah. your permanent category. Um, but I think it's it's growing there. If you think about it, at the minute, every distillery in Scotland is using the same mash bill. <laughs> so it's, there's a lot of differences. A lot of it tastes different, but a hell of a lot of it tastes the same. Uh, it's that same underlying note. And um, I think when you're playing around with mash bills and techniques a lot more, um, I think we've got a lot more to, you know to play with I think it's it's going to be much more interesting I was surprised there was a huge amount of Canadian whiskey around the States when I was out there in November which is great to see as well you know um, so yeah I think I think we're going in the right direction just keep doing what we're doing keep having the conversations and let the liquid do the talking you know yeah for sure and it's just just kind of urging people to to not like just to live outside the box a little bit, try something new. Cause the uh, yeah. like Jameson and crown Royal aren't really the true representation of what those categories can be. So yeah, li- live a little bit. Right. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Is, is Canadian club still a big thing? Um, I would say yeah. bigger in the U S than it is here. But, All right. <laughs> so nice, nice. it's yeah. Like crown Royal and Canadian club are, widely distributed and consumed in in the u.s more than anywhere i would say almost in the world so it's wow. um here here you find like drinking it's more like the wisers and then a lot of the craft distilleries i would say like the, the yeah, Wisers yeah. brands which is like lot 40 and, and those kind of things but um uh-huh. yeah it's we we taught we try to i don't know we try and push discussion around around this kind of stuff all the time just to just to push those drinkers into um, like, there's so much quality out there past these big brands, right? Stop, stop just combining what you're comfortable with because you're going to be blown away the minute that you buy something else. Yeah. It's definitely a growing audience as well. Do you find it? Oh, it is for sure. Yeah. 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 People are there to be converted. They just, they just need to taste it and listen to the right people. They're they're hooked. Just like all of us. Oh, Travis, you're on mute. I think you're on mute, Trav. I said that's what these uh, us four experts with Lost in Translation are here for. Brandon, experts is the key word there. Yeah, Yeah. experts Experts, uh, creating the conversations to drive sales for these small brands. Uh, Sounds sounds like a tagline for the podcast. 
<laughs> do you uh we should probably get we're probably getting close to or over an hour i would say do you do you guys think maybe we should do a, a, a pull pulling, pulling of the bung and then maybe brandon can just give the people like a quick little um about just tell us about the, the rum and raisin that's coming to canada here pretty yeah, soon that's a good idea. Maybe, yeah. before we go brilliant brilliant yeah sean are you ready seven two you want to do it or no no, Sean's just listening today. That means Sean yeah, Kincaid. Just for everyone, Sean McCalder showed up, but he's uh, silent in the background right now. He's looking like he hasn't combed his hair in a few days. Too. <laughs> I am here. Or, or his mustache. Or his... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The mustache is coming back. I know. Full it makes, it force. makes me want to shave mine off because I can't grow that sort of force on my upper lip like you can. So. <laughs> And that's right, a week for him. A week, I think it's been like three days, no? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right, Sean Kincaid, pull that. Up. All right. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Are you threatening me, Dick? That's not a threat. No, that's a fact. I'll fucking kill you. What do you want to know? What? Say what again! Say what again! I dare you! I double dare you, motherfucker! Say what one more goddamn time! You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Favorite food? Spuds. <laughs> huh. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Favorite right. distillery other than Cologne and Two Stacks? Oh, Belgrove. Ooh. In Tasmania. Battlegrove. Fair enough. Your favorite area of Ireland? Donegal, Guidor. Yeah, me too. Nice uh, distilled wheats, distilled wheat or distilled oats? Distilled oats. Your favorite non Irish whiskey? Battlegrove. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like the same question almost, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, a bucket, li- bucket list person that you would have a dram with. Oh, all right. Um, Jeepers. That's a tough one. Oh, my God. First name goes into your head. It can't, be, it can't be Fanon O'Connor. You've had enough dram for Fanon. <laughs> He's drank enough here. <laughs> my God, that's a tough one. Oh no! Um, would it be a musician or would it be? Oh dear! We just have Jeopardy music that we play over top as you as you figure this one. It out. could be anybody. It really could be anybody. Um, just what you could name just, one Luke, of us. Luke Kelly. Oh, de- oh, it's easy. It's Luke Kelly. It is definitely Luke Kelly. Luke Kelly's in our a singer all day okay. long. Uh, yeah. Rugby, football, or hurling. Football, Gaelic football. <laughs> Your favorite Irish breakfast staple? <laughs> the, the full Irish, yeah, an Irish full Irish, yeah. An Ulster, it's called an Ulster fry up here. Ulster fry. What's an Ulster fry? It's it, you've heard of the full Irish breakfast. I no. think it's I think it's basically a. A big dirty fried breakfast with extra grease. So you got your bacon, sausage, egg, tomato, beans, potato bread, soda bread, black pudding, white pudding, mushrooms, 
<laughs> Honestly, when when I was over there, I figured I would get to like I would have it once and that would be enough and I pretty much ate it every single day. It was it was my favorite food. <laughs> It's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It, well, I mean, we were also walking probably twenty to thirty thousand steps a day, so it was burning it off, yeah. burning it off every day. But it was—I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, do you know how to ice skate? No, <laughs> I broke my arm. I only broke one bone of my body once, and that's when I went ice skating. So oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to teach you how when you come out here. But there's an ice skating yeah. team in here called the and, Giants. And they're all Canadians. Oh yeah, <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, I wanted I want a jersey so bad. My favorite hockey player ever, Theron Fleury. He played for the Belfast Giants, yeah. and yeah. I want one of his jerseys so bad. Brilliant. No fair. And finally, do you know how to ski? Yeah, I skied before. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! That's exciting. Yeah, I I don't know. If I know how to do it, but I do, I do, I do follow Perfect. that. And yeah, <laughs> that's all part of the, <laughs> it's all part of the experience falling. We all do. <laughs> we took a uh, dram and a can. All right. Uh, and that uh, concludes the bung pulling. Nice one. My last I, two uh, ski trips, I've been bringing dram and a cans with me, Brandon, and they make absolutely perfect chairlift drinks. They're, they're, they're going, they're pairing really well with ski hills. They really do. They're perfect for that, aren't they? And yeah. Oh, and you really deserve it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also you fall less the more you drink because your fear <laughs> your fear goes away. That's why. Yeah. Brilliant. And if you if you do fall, you don't tense up, you just you like just like blubber. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the Left first chance of breakages. <laughs> when I taught my wife how to ski, it took her like for, for basically her first time on the mountain. It took her about three hours to get to the mid mountain chalet. We did we had a couple Caesars couple shots of, of jmo at the time and nice. uh, it only took about half an hour to get down the rest so it's it's Brilliant. it's an instant cure to learn how to ski i'll tell you <laughs> oh nice one nice one Let's keep that in mind can you tell us about about this brendan this is the yeah. we have about 180 bottles i think coming to canada and uh, nice some canadians have already tried it and it is uh, people are excited about it very excited. yeah yeah he's, no, we absolutely love this I absolutely love this. So I've got it here um, as well. So we're out of stock again on this right now. So we've so we've, we've got two casks that we're going to add together and make some more of it. Um, so we've bought we've a source liquid in this. It's it's five year old uh, malt whiskey, and it comes from Cooley Distillery. So after the batch you've got now, that's the end of that liquid. We're going to go to a different distillery. So unfortunately, we couldn't get any more of this sold out. So. This stuff is gorgeous. Um, it's a lovely apple note in the background of the distillate. But the word rum and raisin, we call it the rum and raisin because it's been vatted into two different casks. Our own rum, we make our own rum, which is very molasses-heavy rum. And there's lovely tropical notes from two-week wild fermentations outside. And th- those really lend themselves to the whiskey as well as a finish. Um, the other cask that we use is PX Sherry. So Pedohemides Sherry is lovely, thick, viscous, chewy sherry. It's the darkest sherry you can get. And uh, so it gives a bit of colour. Obviously, as you can see, it's nice rich, but it gives these lovely, like Christmas pudding, raisins, sultanas, figs. Those are coming in in the whiskey as well. So you've got your apples from the distillate. You've got those lovely raisiny fig notes, and then you've got your lovely molasses and coconuts coming from the rum. And these all hey, 
and it's got. Yeah, but, oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you can so, help yourself. You just had to interrupt them, or what? No, I was just, just going to say, like, um, everybody asks me why I like this so much when I do not like rum finished whiskeys, but it makes sense because the rum is made in Ireland. That's all I was going to say. Oh, God. Good one. <laughs> yeah, Cologne rum is. Our rum is. It's, it's different from normal rum. We, we just took our interpretation of what rum should be. So that's what it was. Man, that's absolutely lovely because. I'm just tasting it now. Some whiskeys have got a start. You know, they fall short either on the, on the nose or the palate or the finish. You know, maybe they're all palate-driven, maybe they're all finish-driven. And they, they, they try to make up their points based on, on one of those sections. But this delivers on the nose, it delivers on the palate, and it delivers very long into the finish. So it just keeps giving, it keeps giving. It's really mouth-watering. And then you just want to get jump back in and get some more of it, you know. But um, I'm actually just going to pour myself another little glass of it here. To tuck in again because it is it's smashing stuff and um there's not too much of it about how many bottles are in canada i think we got 30 cases i think there, yeah 30 cases coming it, i find it really um it really transforms in the class too i've been uh I, I left a left a glass sitting for probably i don't know half an hour 45 minutes before getting into it um this was a mm. couple of weeks ago but it's uh it kind of just like blooms a little bit honestly especially in the nose i found but i hear you man yeah it definitely changes when it breathes yeah. it definitely does there's a lovely nutty note coming through there as well like macadamia and a wee bit of almond mm-hmm. on the nose as well that's it's an just extremely really expressive off. extremely expressive whiskey mm. but you would be you would be concerned some people are concerned about the rum uh, because they don't like rum cask finished scotches, I'm guessing for the most part it's what they've experienced. Yeah. But what I'm trying to explain to people is when you look at this and you see rum and raisin, PX rum, you, my immediate thought is it's going to be this overpowered distillate by the casks. The PX is going to be doing its thing. But the way that this whiskey has, has come together harmoniously, and I guess I'm guessing it wasn't too long of a cask finish, was it, Brendan? No, no, six months in each. But yeah. um, if you think about it, like, um, it's about, as you say, overpowering in casks is something that we hate. It has to be distillate-led. You have yeah. to taste the original DNA. You have to. That's what it's all about. So then you can get the story, you know, what's going on. And if anybody's lucky enough to taste our rum, just, you know, it's it's different. It's real full-bodied. It's um, full of flavour, and it's coming in there a little bit too. It doesn't taste like off-the-shelf rums. It doesn't taste like a spiced rum. It doesn't taste like a sweet rum, you know, so it's... I had someone email me about rum yesterday saying, are you getting any of Cologne's rum? And I said, we tell Cologne we'll take whatever they can give us. So if they have some rum, we'll take some rum from them. Yeah, we've got the labels ordered. We're going to get some new rum. So we'll get you, we'll see, send out a few cases of it as well. (laughs) It's it's funky stuff. It's fit in a Solera system, you know. Um, So this is finished in a rum that went through a Solera system. Um, you know, for, it goes for about two and a half years. So it's sitting small casks first, bourbon casks. Then it goes into heavily charred Cabernet Sauvignon casks. So you've got that European wood spice and those real fruity notes coming from the Cab Sav. And then we finish it again in PX Sherry casks because they're brilliant. So it works its way right through and it's coming out. It's just lovely, juicy stuff, you know? Jeez. Yes, we'll take well, we'll take everything you can get us. We'll just leave yeah. it at that. <laughs> Anything you're willing to reserve from the yeah, one know, cask a week. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just having having the cologne rum and raisin in that tasting that Sean and I did 
I mean, we had more feedback off that one out of the 12 whiskeys we had. And still to this day, people are constantly messaging me, asking me when it's coming, if we're getting any. And just say, be patient. I'm being patient too. I don't have any more left either. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's definitely, it won't be a, a problem selling it. It'll probably sell out super fast. Uh, from seeing it over in Ireland and stuff, it sells fast there too. So Yeah, yeah, it does indeed. Oh, lovely stuff. Once you get a, yeah, once people get a taste and start talking about it, it's great, you know. How many bat? Yeah. How many bottles do you release, Brandon, in one batch? Like, how many bottles were in this batch? There was a couple of different ones. So there was. This is batch. Some two. of the casks were bigger as well. So there was one there that was six hundred and sixty bottles, and then that was in batch. User on batch two. Yeah, use of six hundred and sixty bottles. So we got one hundred and eighty of that. That's. You gave us you gave us a lot of that. I appreciate that. Hopefully, there's not um, people watching this from home. Uh, we apologize, and if it's just people from Canada watching, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we will drink it and we will appreciate it, and it'll it'll be like it's a conversation piece whiskey, which is our favorite favorite type of whiskeys, and it's it's like like you talked about how. You want you want a whiskey to tell a story, and that's tell the story about the distillate, and it's everything that influences it, including the casks, right? We we talk about that all the time. How like if you if you want a sherry bomb, it's just sherry, right? Like there's no other story to tell other than just it's sherry. But there's so much other more uh, more interesting whiskeys to talk about out there, right? Like they they all have their place in everybody's cabinet, but at the same time. These it's these whiskeys that really kind of push that conversation, which is really cool. Brilliant! No, I'm delighted you you get on board with that. Thanks a million. Plus, Absolutely. it's cask strength as well. And oh yeah. The problem is, the Irish whiskey at the moment you you're not required to tell people if there's E110A coloring in something. In Germany, they've got the right idea. You have to stick it in a bottle. Yeah. So but you can't do it here. So we don't put coloring in. We're dead against it. We don't filter. Um, sometimes it might be the odd wee bit of char in the bottle because we just don't filter, you know. We flock. Floaties. Love of yeah. <laughs> Good fiber, you know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. They, these have all been relatively clean, thankfully. They've been flocked, you know, so you let it sit and then you, you, you fill from the top. So, um, yeah, they're lovely bottles, you know. So there's just, they're just full body. There's no filtration, no chill filtration. So all of the oils and all of the flavor are still in there. You know, so they're real treats. Yeah, we we agree. Um, I don't. Do you guys got anything anything more to to run by Brendan before we wrap this show up or what? I think the uh, a we are super excited to make our business trip. Business trip. Honey, yeah, honey. I want to. I want to work trip. in the Killowin Distillery for a, a week. Yeah, like <laughs> I just want to burn some Irish turf into some malt. Uh, like that's yeah. Just give me set me in the shed. I will be fine. You guys can go do whatever you want. We'll do some mushrooms first, though. <laughs> <laughs> come in the autumn then. But yeah, we're we're super excited to come. Honestly, if 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 there was any way, like yeah, if we could help make something there and then and then put it away for a few years and put our name we would that would be something really cool but we just want to come hang out yeah. with you and the two stacks gents and uh, yeah, obviously yeah. we would love for you to come come on down here and and meet our community and stuff so we're just looking forward to all of it we're just steve nice and i one. every time we talk about the irish the irish brands yeah. we get really excited so we're just happy to be, nice happy to be working with you well we can't wait to get over there as well it'll be brilliant you know 
it's it's definitely happening. I think you've you've some folks coming here in April, do you, Travis? Yeah, my uh, actually a couple of my there's a manager slash owner of a of a liquor store here in town, a, a really good whiskey store that he doesn't have his dates yet. But yeah, my 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 father in law, my mother in law will be coming. And hopefully can drop by and uh, and meet you and just see how how cool that spot is there. Yeah. Maybe make them make them stir some oats or something. Make them do some work. Oh, <laughs> them to work, definitely. Yeah. Well, Turn the whiskey they're going to drink. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we appreciate your time today, Brandon. Honestly, I yes. know we had to pivot a little bit, but there's always lots to talk about when it comes to to Irish whiskey and and especially Kilo and Distillery. Yeah. So we'll be. Uh, We'll be knocking on your door to come on again. I can I can guarantee you that. No problem at all, guys. No, it's great having you. Cheers, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cheers to you, and we'll uh, we'll keep you posted on launch for for when Kilowin gets here. Uh, that's for you and and all the drinkers and that, and then we'll uh, we'll yeah. I don't know. We're just <laughs> I don't really have anything to add. So it's uh, noon, and I've had some drams, and uh, let's go from there. <laughs> no worries. Slancha. Slancha. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. That's perfect. That was perfect. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Really appreciate it. No, it's all thanks, guys. Good chat, Nice. Good to see you as all. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week on Lost in Translation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show and tell all your friends about it. If you'd like to connect with us, there's a plethora of ways to do so. So please do them all. Check out parkwhiskeysociety.com on Instagram pws.media Dark Cloud Whiskey YEG Whiskey Nights and Edmonton Scotch Club you can also email the show at lostintranslation at gmail.com and check out the YouTube channel Lost in Translation for show clips thanks again everyone for taking the time out of your day to listen to our show we really really appreciate it cheers cheers